Welcome back to Transform to Freedom, everyone. I'm your host, Sarah Higdon. It's good to be back with you. So, got some good things going on. First thing, I do want to let everybody know before we get started, um, we are in that time of year here in Georgia where it gets so hot and humid during the day that every single night it thunderstorms. So if you hear the thunderstorms in the background, <laughs> don't be alarmed. Also, um, understand that um, if I do lose power, whatnot, um, we'll try to get it back as quickly as possible. But um, yeah, but we are. Yeah, we're so we're, we're dealing with storms here in Georgia, um, which is always fun. I actually like storms. I don't know about you, but storms, um, they fascinate me. But we had a lightning strike at about like it was probably 3 a.m. last night and it hit so close to my house because I actually live back in the woods. So it hit so close to my house that it woke me up out of a dead sleep <laughs> and it, I jumped and I don't usually get startled like that in thunderstorms. Like I said, I, I typically sleep and enjoy thunderstorms. They, they're kind of calming and soothing to me, honestly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of rough right now. Um, and then before we start to get into things too, I do want to know if you guys did not see, um, the legend Bob Barker passed away this weekend. So thoughts and prayers there. He was 99 years old and I, I, I saw a meme that was, it was absolutely perfect. I think he would have loved it. You know, he got as close to a hundred without going over. Um, and that was, um, you know, it's, it, I, I think he would have appreciated, he probably would have appreciated that. I didn't know him personally, but legend, honestly. Um, so rest in peace, rest in peace, Bob Barker. Um, next on the list. So this last week and to set this up, um, we started talking about a bill that we put, we started pushing last year here in Georgia. Um, it was Senate bill 88. Um, it was tabled last year, um, because, um, th there was a lot of things that, you know, people on, you know, the Republican side just couldn't come together on. Some people thought the bill needed to be stronger. Some didn't think it was strong enough. And so they tabled the bill, um, for this year. So the way it works here in Georgia though. So we had a hearing, a special hearing on it with the uh, so the, what the bill does the bill first it requires um, especially private schools to allow parents to opt out of discussions on gender and so um, if they're they they need to approve on the curriculum so if a child if a if you send your kids to a private school. I think it's for public schools too, but I haven't gotten too far into it. I don't think I should discriminate on private or public schools. Um, but it, it it requires you to be able to allow your child, um, you, you to opt your child out of any classroom discussions. Now, here in Georgia, the age, the age that they set on it, though, was 16. So because the age of consent is 16 years old here in Georgia, um, over the age of 16, children, uh, over the age of 16, those teens, I guess, could are 
would be allowed to make their own decisions when it comes to this type of stuff. But, um, so, so the other part of the bill though, also requires that, um, schools notify parents of under any gender issues. So not even just schools though, it actually goes on to say anybody that is in charge of a child, if they are having gender issues, uh, they are they are not the ones that are going to talk about those gender issues with the students. It actually gives a way to for, to send them to a counselor, a trained counselor on this issue. Um, and so there's a lot of discussion about that. Obviously, I am not for I, I don't think that schools or anybody should be keeping children's secrets from parents. And there's a lot of reasons why. Um and that's part that's the part of the bill that I testified on this week. So the way the process works here in Georgia though is we can pre you can pre-file the bill in November. So the bill's not even really in discussion. Uh, it, it's in discussion, but it's not um, it's not even filed because we can't. So we can't file it till November. And then our session here doesn't start until January. And actually from what I'm learning this year, this is really my first year working in state level politics. Georgia has a actually a very small legislative session. And so like our session, I believe, ended in April. Um, and and so it starts in January, ends in April, whereas you see a lot of different you know states still passing bills and everything like that. We're done for the year. We don't we're not in session. We're not going to be in session until January, but we can start filing bills in November. Courtney says, depends on depends on the counselor. If they're sending them to a gender to gender counselors, they'll only push them into this. And yes, the bill prevents parents from knowing is dead wrong. Yeah, I I agree. Um, that is one of those things. Is I've always said this too. Um, even with my testimony, I didn't say it in my testimony, but I'm like, you know, children need psychological professional help if they're having issues with their gender. But I'm always cautious when I talk to parents, but again, this is if parents are parents need to know and parents need to get their children the help that they need. So if parents do their due diligence and question, they will take their kids to they they will do their own they will do their own research and and, and get a good therapist that's not just a gender therapist, right? That's the key behind it all. But I'll play you my testimony because I that's the that's the part of the bill that I spoke on at this time. Um, obviously we're gonna work on this bill further going down the line because um what we saw on Wednesday when the when we did this was that there was a lot of people that really you could tell that they hadn't really read the bill. There was parents there saying, acting like their children were going to be erased because even though that they were accepting, I'm like, wait a second, you're accepting. So there's no issue. The school just has to notify you. I think that's where a lot of this stuff gets kind of miscommunicated along, you know, along these lines, because with these types of bills, if you're an accepting parent, you're, you're not, you're not affected at all. Your child's not affected at all. Um, and so I don't, there was a lot of that miscommunication with what this bill actually does in the hearing. So when I spoke, <laughs> it was kind of funny because, I mean, I was, 
there with the senator and the lobbyist who 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 created who crafted the bill like they asked me to come and and share and so when we're waiting and I'm, i know i'm on the list we're literally telling the head of the committee to call my name he wasn't calling my name but what i saw a couple people do was when their name was when somebody else's name was called they would stand up and go say they're not here and uh, they said i could take their spot and they would let them do that so there was one point with about 10 minutes left in this hearing where i didn't think i was gonna get to speak and i this would be the second time that I went to a hearing and didn't get to speak because um, SB 140, um, that banned transition last year, I didn't get to speak up there because they never called my name, even though I was first on the list. So this would have been insane. So what I did, <laughs> I told the lobbyist, I said, uh, that was sitting next to me, I said, if... Um, I said, I'm just going to stand up and go the next person that's not here. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and so um, they called somebody. They weren't there. They called another person. They weren't there. And so I just literally said, I'll take it. <laughs> I just got up and walked up and started speaking. And uh, it was it was good. So here's my testimony, though. This was, this was fun. I am here to speak in favor of SB 88. Having gone through the process of transition myself, I can tell you that it's not an easy process, and if a child is questioning their identity, then they need the help of a trained psychological professional. And it's parents' responsibility to make sure their child gets that care. Not a school teacher's, not a school's, but the parents. And the fact is, teachers are not trained therapists, so they are not exactly trained to deal with true psychological phenomenon that is sexual confusion in children. And we know this happens in schools. We know, we know what happens in schools when they keep secrets from parents. In the most extreme cases, so we have what happened to a young girl in Florida, and you can look this up. A child's gender issues were kept to the parents because of their Catholic faith, if you can believe that. That child went on to attempt suicide twice in as many days, and the parents were left in the dark that their child was even having these issues. I know from y'all's advocacy for, for SB 140 that y'all care about youth suicide. So my question is, why would you think it's okay to keep these children from getting the help that they need and deserve? Parents are the only ones that can do that, and unless there is clear abuse going on, which the, the schools then have an action that they are dictated by law to take, then it is, then it has no right to keep that life-saving treatment from parents. So yeah, um, that was my testimony. It was it was fun. Um, the thing about this is, is they actually only give you two minutes and i use like a minute 18 so i was quick um because i'm used to speaking uh <laughs> but yeah I, I i had a i had a quick 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 speech ready to go um they actually i was asked to speak the night before and and knocked it out but again this was just the first hearing um we can get more into the uh, we'll be getting more into the details as this thing goes on um as we start to introduce it to sessions and everything like that because the, the thing is i a, there was a lot of people there making a lot of emotional arguments that you you heard the same things about people that were um 
you know, about youth suicides and how, you know, you're prevent, you know, you're, you're preventing these children from being who they are. You're, you know, you're putting them in danger and, and how, you know, if they're not accepted, then they'll, they'll, they'll unalive themselves and in everything that we always hear. And so I wanted to point out that if they are so concerned about youth suicides, then they will actually look at what happens when you keep mental health care from these children. And so play to their emotions in this one. Um, I didn't really, I was sitting in the front row, so I didn't really see like the death glares that I was getting, but I didn't get harassed on the way out. So that was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, um, but then it's, it's been a crazy week and I actually forgot to completely, I, I completely forgot to add anything about the the republican debate and you know why because i actually said this on um on wednesday night i said you know i i think i woke up i might have said it thursday morning woke up and said i hope everybody's had their hope every everybody's enjoyed this conversation about the debate because now it's about to be deleted from the news cycle because of Donald Trump turning himself into uh, Georgia that was going to take over the news cycle. And I was actually right. But talking about the debate, it was really interesting. Um, I will say, I don't think that they're, I, I don't know. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy might be the only person that I could even see myself voting for on that stage. Um, simply because he's the only person that's not a neocon on that stage. Um, I, you, if you, you've been following me for long enough, you know, that I spoke at an anti-war rally, you know, spoke to end the funding that we're sending over to Ukraine, um, spoke to end all foreign funding. Here's the thing. We don't need to be involved in other people's wars. I am an anti-war veteran. I don't think that we should be sending money to fund proxy wars all the way around the world. So honestly, when all those people are, um, when all those people want to, um, you know, when they're, they're basically in lockstep with the Democrats on this, um, it's just not going to happen. Like, I, I'm not going to support you. That is honestly war wars and war funding is one of my red line issues where um, I, I'm not going to support you if you're for foreign invasions, foreign, you know, wars, um, you know, and I, I thought one thing I also thought with Vivek was he was, he did what Donald Trump did in 2016. He made it entertaining. Everybody ganged up on him because they're afraid of him. And he had the best comebacks that you can think of. Like, honestly, when when Nikki Haley said, you have zero foreign policy experience and it shows. And he said, I hope you enjoy you know, when you're sitting on the, I, ho I hope you enjoy your next career on the board of Raytheon um, and Lockheed. That was, those types of zingers just made me like him. He's a likable person and nobody else on that stage came across as a likable person. Um, 
my support for Ron DeSantis has been fading for quite a while. Um, I think he had some good intelligent points at the debate, but he didn't, you know, he didn't chime in enough. He didn't really have any of those moments that made you go, you know, any of those clippable moments. Um, you know, I think he, I think he sank his career with two clips where when they asked a question, Vivek Ramaswamy was the only person that shot his hand up and everybody else waited to see what the audience did or waited to see what their fellow people said on stage. And then they raised their hand when it was, when the question was, would you support Donald Trump if he was the nominee? Ramaswamy's hand goes up. Everybody else starts looking around and, you know, starts timidly, timidly raising their hand when it, when they talked about, um, I think it was the the the, the comment on um, Ukraine. Hand goes up. Ramaswamy's hand goes up. No, I mean just decisive. And that was when Ron DeSantis goes, eh, maybe. Um, he 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 didn't look like the leader that he has in Florida. I think that's that's hard. Um, so I think he's. His campaign is sinking. I think Ramaswamy is is going to be a clear second place going forward. Like I said, I mean, when he, <laughs> I just I enjoyed it because I didn't know how this debate was going to go. Because um, there is an entertainment value to this, right? Like I said, DeSantis gave some good answers, but he was not. He wasn't speaking very much. He didn't speak much at all. And everybody was going after Ramaswamy and he was just taking it to them. Like there was the point where Chris Christie tried to compare him to Obama. And Vivek was like, why don't you come give me a hug just like you did to Obama? Um, so I, I think there's there's a lot. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Courtney, I think you're right. I, I, I've never really. Chris Christie has been a, basically a Democrat um, for most of. Um, so Courtney said. Christy needs to go away permanently. I had to deal with him for a very long time in New Jersey. Never want to see his face again. Yeah. He is, he's slimy. He is just as bad as most of the Democrats. There, that's one. I would never vote for somebody like Chris Christie. That's, you know, I, and there's the things, there's some things I think, um, I think Nikki Haley answered a couple. There was one question that I thought she answered very well. Um, I think that some, I mean, a lot of them had some good answers, but their, their, their support for foreign war and foreign invasions is, um, and, and, and proxy wars really, really hurt what I thought about them. So, and I don't think I could, I could vote for that. Um, Courtney, you also had mentioned, um, about, Vivek support for Israel. Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, Israel is one of those really weird topics because it's going to be hard to get a lot of people to pull support from Israel. Now I support Israel's right to exist. I support Israel as a, as a, as a nation. Um, but I don't support our funding of their, their military. I don't. I, I think um, think that they they do well enough that they can fund their own Iron Dome defense systems. 
and and what really got me thinking about this too is when you really when you really look at what happens in Israel when Obama took or when Biden took over remember there was that days i mean it was a lot of artillery being shot into Israel sorry dogs are not liking the storm um but no so there was days of of artillery being shot over into into israel and the and the problem with that is and the thing is is you start to realize like we gave the palestinians covid aid actually was it we gave the palestinians aid obama gave iran you know five billion dollars back or five was it five billion gave them their money back and then here's the thing um so basically what you're starting to realize is is that we the united states are funding a proxy war between ourselves against ourselves right so we fund iran and the palestinians to shoot rockets into our iron dome defense system that we pay for for israel so magnificent devil says vivek says he wants to let the military support for israel lapse when it expires in 2028 and the interim uses diplomacy yeah i mean that that is um yeah we already have this we're already on the hook for it so you it's not really like we're gonna go and and uh you know take the stuff back so I, I i like that you know but i i i think that we just need to get out of the business of funding foreign countries and he made a great point now we probably have differing opinions on what we need to do about the border um, I can't remember what his opinion was. I actually saw him at Freedom Fest this year. Um, I don't remember what his he was talking about, but try. Right. I mean, we are funding to fight wars on other people's borders when our borders are wide open. We can, you know, there there's so much stuff here at home that needs to be fixed, and our money needs to go do that. Um, so, but that's actually, that's, that's all I have on the debate. Like I said, I didn't have anything pulled up for that now. So what we have too is, um, next we go to Donald Trump. Donald Trump was... Turned himself in to the Fulton County Jail on Thursday. Um, and if you didn't see my coverage, I I was I was down. I was actually down there covering this for the Post Millennial. Um, Yeah, so I was I was down there covering this. Um, I was covering Donald Trump's arrival uh, for the post millennial. So I got some pretty good video. Um, I'll show those real quick. Uh, 
So this first one actually was just when I first got there, this was about 10 a.m. Now, if you remember Laura Loomer, which I did, I did actually speak to Laura Loomer while I was down there. I interviewed her real quick. We, um, but um, I haven't, didn't post that one. Um, but we, uh, when I first got down there, it was around the time that her event was getting ready to go and they started laying out these barriers. Like they already had the metal barriers. I'm going to tell you, it wasn't very friendly even to media because I walked up and I wanted to get like a, a, a front shot. Of, um, everybody stand on the barriers and I was not allowed to. I was told that I had to be behind the barriers. I said, even for media? They said, yes, even media. So I had to be behind the barriers. Couldn't actually cover the See, They just pushed that that reporter out of the way as she was trying to cover that. Um, and so they didn't we didn't really have much space to be able to really do anything over there right you had like all those media tents were set up and then you had like little rows of like protesters along the along the road it was not a not a very good situation that it was set up over there and they were almost like putting everybody so close together that it was gonna cause issues so um thankfully there weren't really too many issues obviously there was a lot of there was protests counter protests um you you may have seen a lot of the other videos online, um, but it was it was it was interesting. So like this actually it was good. So one of the other things, though, if you didn't um, if you didn't see last week, though, so Fannie Willis is the person who uh, is the district attorney for Fulton County. She. Um, Senator Colton Moore, who I, I know a little bit, um, I've talked to him a few times, um, he is proposing a special session to possibly impeach Fannie Willis. So I got to do a pretty good interview with him. So here's that interview. So I am standing here with Senator Colton Moore, um, who you filed charges to, uh, or what you file? You filed to... So I'm, I'm calling for a special session, right? Um, we in the legislature, we have this important constitutional check and balance. If you remember in high school government class, we've got the three branches of government, right? I serve as a senator in the legislative branch. We control the power of the purse. We get to decide what taxes are and we get to decide how that money is being spent. My constituents do not want their hard-earned tax dollars being used to finance this rogue district attorney who is violating people's First Amendment rights. Remember, it took 19 days to certify the election results. These individuals who were at the jail here about to get indicted were simply expressing their First Amendment rights to challenge the integrity of the election, right? Just like Stacey Abrams, just like Hillary Clinton, just like anyone else. And now they have been taken political prisoner and that should end immediately. So I'm calling for a special session and I encourage all Georgians, call up your state senator, call up your representative, have them type up a letter to Governor Kemp and say, I demand that we have a special session, first and foremost, to defund Bonnie Willis, and second, to investigate her, and if the corruption's found, ultimately impeach her. So what's the next step in this whole process, though, just so everybody knows and so everybody's clear about that? Well, the next step in this process is your taxpayer money as Georgians is going to fund this district attorney. Now, you can call up your state representative or your state senator, and they may say, oh, well, we have a prosecutorial commission, and that's going to take care of it. Well, we as a legislature have the power to do it, put a check and balance on this, Fonnie Willis, but we've given our power away to a prosecutorial commission. 
we're kicking the can down the road. It's an excuse for them not to take action. So call them, demand they take action, and call that special session. Thank you, Senator. Thank you. So, yeah, um, that's just one of the steps that's being taken. Um, another person, Brad Barnes, who I interviewed, which I don't have queued up, um, he actually was down at the courthouse um, filing for possible arrest on Fannie Willis as a uh, as a citizen it was it was it's an interesting way to go I don't know how it'll work but um apparently you can you know file for the you know file for a possible indictment against somebody um and a judge um can hear it and you know then it can go forward and then they could possibly then they would deal with like arrest warrants and stuff like that. So I don't know. That's um what he's doing. Senator, like I said, Senator Moore is um calling calling Benny Willis a, a road district attorney, which there's a lot of weird stuff with this one too, but um we're gonna see kind of what happens here. Um got some really other good stuff like just people people debating out there i mean there was a lot of really good conversations now actually what i wanted to say about colton moore and actually the other person that i interviewed it was i i don't know how he was wearing a suit that day i mean honestly it was it was like 95 degrees with like 60 percent humidity so it was feeling like it was well over a hundred degrees. I was, it was, it was bad. So how was he wearing a suit? I don't know. It's a hot Georgia Southern day, you know, hot day out. It, but there was plenty of people out there and um, a lot of stuff going on. Like I said, this was actually, everybody kind of moved to the shade over here. And so this was good because everybody, yeah, moved to the shade and um across the street which so it wasn't so bunched up but some good good conversations and we not we not here for obama we here for So, yeah, I mean, but that's the thing is, so this uh, whole thing, there was a lot of that. I mean, you can go to, you can go to the, uh, go check out the Post Millennials page. Uh, I mean, go into their media and scroll back to Thursday and you can see all the footage that I, I had covered. I posted from there. Um, it was, it was, it was interesting out there. Right. So, um, but what's interesting, what, what's really interesting. So. Um, I also got some good pictures. I took my camera with me and I, I got some pictures for myself. If you saw some of these, um, so there are just a couple pictures. Um, it was, it was a very, <laughs> it's interesting. It was a very diverse crowd that was out there in support of Trump. So that's, 
yeah, the the I, I guess they were the black Hebrew Israelites. Um, the blacks for Trumps were out there. Um, there was another video, and I can't say the word on here, obviously. Uh, but the N-word for Trump, he's been kind of making his way around online. I didn't see him out there, but go look at those videos because he's he's spot on with a lot of it. Um, this is what it looks like when he walked up. Like I said, you could see like there's not a lot of space for anybody to do anything. They were had this road closed completely. Um, and then there were some, obviously, this is uh, counter protesters and they were right in there with everybody, but apparently like all the counter protesters that were there were ones that are at like all the events. So apparently they're, they go around to all of the events, just like a lot of these people that were on the Trump side have been to all the arraignments and everything like that. So you get, it had some of that on both sides, but um, it was interesting. Now the mugshot though, this was the first time that they've actually done the mugshot. And I think, um, you know, Democrats thought that this mugshot was going to be, you know, mugshot, you know, posting everybody's mugshot was going to be this big smear that they could um, post them. And then everybody would, um, you know, it would it would be like a, a posting of shame like they could they were basically going to use it to like shame Trump and everybody else in there. But kind of backfired, didn't it? Because. This was this was as of Saturday. So the Trump campaign had made seven million dollars from Thursday evening when the when the mugshot was released um, to sa Saturday was was seven million dollars, and they broke a single a twenty four hour fundraising record uh, for the campaign. Um, within the so within the 24 hours after the uh, the mugshot was released, the Trump campaign brought in a total of 4.18 million dollars by selling merchandise and people donating on the website. So it just goes to show again, like this is only helping Donald Trump in this whole thing. People have people have they it's clear that people are thinking people think that this is just a weaponization of the government now there was a little bit even more of that where um there was a poll that just showed that donald trump has support of the black community a whole lot more than um he did in in 2020 um it was actually i mean by a lot like by a lot and um there were some interesting posts and there was a um there was a post that was kind of it really was like the racism of low expectation type post when it came to this as to why this would be happening what i will say is when the black community has been saying the justice system has been rigged against them for so long um and now finally a politician is feeling their pain um that is why i think that um you know the the, the black community when you saw trump's motorcade driving through when you saw the trump's motorcade driving through that's not a great neighborhood that area over there in, in south fulton and everybody's screaming and like 
you know, loving it. Like that is crazy because like those, it's not the community that has typically voted for Republicans. And so I, you know, when you see the justice system rigged against somebody and you feel like the justice system has been rigged against you and your community for so long, you, you feel like that person might actually do something to change it when they get into office. So that is why I think a lot of people will start to support them and realize that Democrats haven't been supporting them. Democrats are just lining their own pockets. So yeah, Magnificent Devil says, worse than that, the Democrats have been telling the black community it's rigged against them. Then they prove it was rigged by them with Trump. You're absolutely, I think I, I think that's a great point. I think that they are proving that they are the ones that are rigging uh, the justice system. They they are showing how the justice system is actually, actually works. Like that they control the justice system, especially like in the Democrat run cities, you have people like Fannie Willis, you have people like Alvin Bragg, you have these DAs who are Democrat elected who are what is it, residing over, you know, these cases that would involve people in that community for the most part, obviously for the most part where the higher concentrations of minorities are is in, you know, the urban city centers. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think that this is, um, I think, this is only helping him. Like he is just, I mean, just making so much. Like they are, and, and what's even crazier about this, Joe Biden tried to fundraise off of this. Did you guys see this? Like this is what was crazy too, is Joe Biden, literally. So Donald Trump announced that he was going to turn himself in at 7.30 p.m. on August 24th. Look what the time is and date that this, uh, the exact time and date that this fundraising tweet went out from Joe Biden's account. Because obviously we know he's not writing it, but he said, I think today, I think today is a great day to give to my campaign at the exact same time that Donald Trump said that he was going to be turning himself in. So he, Joe Biden literally just showed that he is. He's trying to fundraise off of criminalizing and interfering with his political rivals. Like, that's what that shows to me. <laughs> so I, I, I just think it's, it's really crazy. Oh. Biggest. When it happened. Donald Trump's first first tweet back. First post back on Twitter was his mugshot. I mean, that was, I mean, that was genius. I mean, that's the way that's, if you're going to, if you're going to come back, if you're going to post on Twitter, make it your mugshot and then say, this is election interference, never surrender and fundraise off of it. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the way to do it. Um, it's, I mean, 
it's only helped him again. Like they've they've raised almost twenty million dollars in the last three weeks after being indicted on two separate occasions. People are people are people are wanting to fund this and and go through that right. So um, what was? Let me see. Let me pull this up real quick. So Trump, I don't think he's tweeted since. Let me see. Pull this up. So yeah, he still hasn't tweeted posted because it's x now right it's always gonna be twitter until i get my subscriptions activated it will be twitter but it's kind of it's kind of funny um it's interesting the the tweets look at look at what this look at how this worked so it's like shot chaser stuff like on january 8th 2021 down trump wrote to all of those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. So, like, he wasn't going to the inauguration. And then the next tweet, he was arrested. Mugshot and everything. Crazy. <laughs> it's kind of, it kind of, it's, it's funny. Oh, hey, Psycho. How are you? Um, but the whole thing about this mugshot is the left is melting down now you can go check this article by uh my editor and friend libby emmons over at human events because you guys know we are um the post-millennial and human events are basically the same um so it's so funny because the everybody is the leftist media is melting down because they're like, why are this is, I think from the New York times, why are Trump accused co-conspirators smiling for their mugshots? This is supposed to be a, a, a booking photo normally reflects gravity, bewilderment, or even surprise. That is not the case with some of these defendants. So it was funny because they're surprised that people are smiling in these because it's a joke. They like these people are smiling because it's a joke. So you can't be you, you, they it's like, and then when Trump posted, when Trump's photo came out, it was like, he was, he was death glaring. Like is what they were saying. They, they were, they were death glaring at him. Like he was like, this is like a threat. Like they were trying to say this threat. So you can't be, you, you can't take this too lightly, but you also can't take it too seriously. Like it was, I mean, you, you just have to like, just take a normal picture and, and yeah, exactly. Magnificent devil says, why won't you let us shame you? Um, it's like they, they didn't, it was like, they, they didn't get what they wanted. It was like, they thought that they were going to shame people. And it was like, you know, it's, um, they're not going to. They're not going to. Um, yeah, Robbie Thurman says, since since Hillary called us deplorables, we have been turning everything back on them. Yeah. Why would, I mean, if you don't think that, I mean, why you're, they're, they're ta they were taking these mugshots for the press, for political purposes, for political gain. So why would you let them have that? Why not make it a joke? It's a joke that they took their mugshots. This is the only time that they've taken mugshots. 
like Donald Trump had actually said, like they literally they they took his mugshot, even though he's the most recognizable man in the world. I, you know, it's it's crazy. What's even more crazy though is that one of the co-defendants is actually still in jail. Um, he was denied bail. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he's still in jail as of today. I haven't seen anything change about this, but um, the Black Voices for Trump uh, director, Harrison Floyd, was denied bail and was has to remain in the county jail. It's insane. And again, we were talking about we were talking about the black vote. The only person that they denied bail to and kept in jail was the Black Voices for Trump director. You want to talk about, a, I mean, you want to talk about rigged justice system. And you want to talk about minorities have always said for so long that, you know, the justice system is rigged against them. And now again, the only person that remains behind bars is the black man. Why? I mean, they've, I, I'm pretty sure they've actually did a GoFundMe for him. Yeah. Tim Pool said the only guy they remained is black, racist, evil, fascist. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, let me see. They also told him he didn't qualify for a public defender. I thought, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought according to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, you have the right to a public defender. What what disqualifies you from not being allowed a public defender? I, I just... They, they they determined he was a risk to to commit additional felonies and test in in a, in a in a flight risk. You know I I, I don't get it. I, I I really do feel like <laughs> yeah, being a black conservative in Atlanta. Yeah, and it, what's interesting is I know a lot of black conservatives in Atlanta. Um, I always say that this city, it's crazy because this city is more of a libertarian city. And even when it comes to like voting and stuff, like I don't believe that the numbers are so far skewed, like that, uh, we have kind of a, a mix between Republicans and Democrats around here, but I always say it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, the blue city in a red state. Um, so people can kind of do what they want. The only thing that the, the city council and really does is make sure that is is police force and stuff like that which they've not been doing a great job with but what's but it's also that you know nobody really cares who you are and everybody owns a gun you know so um it's a very it is a very libertarian city um which again this could actually this could turn could you imagine if this actually, if this turns Atlanta into a red city, like, I mean, I've, I've worked with, um, we actually, the, um, 
the person who was running for city council president last year that I was working with um, is a conservative gay black man. And so um, like that's the way that this city is moving. So I think that you're going to see, I think you, you could see even this city flip um, to, to Republicans. Hopefully that's what we're going to work for. Um, I mean, I live here, so I have to deal with stuff. Um, I mean, typically Atlanta's pretty good, um, but not Annie Willis. And we do, we need to get her out. We actually, actually, um, now the representative state that the state representative for Midtown Atlanta is a Republican, is a black woman Republican because she was elected as a Democrat and she just flipped parties. Um, I think it was over abortion issues. She flipped to be a Republican this year and she's represents. I think I talked about it um, what, about a month or so ago. Um, she represents Midtown Atlanta. So We'll see. We'll see what happens. This city could be flipping quite a bit. Um, but we'll move on from that. I mean, shoot, we just went quite long with this. But um, let's talk about, I don't know if you guys have been really paying attention to this very much, this um, Oliver Anthony, who sings the song Richmond, North of Richmond, um, blew up. Um, you know, a lot of conservatives said, you know, they were taking it as their anthem and, um, it's been really interesting to watch because apparently Oliver Anthony turned on $8 million deal. Um, and after the, uh, so they, during the debate, they used, um, they used a song and Martha McCallum actually asked Ron DeSantis, why do you think that? the song is um, catching fire so much with the American people. And he, yeah. So he, he said, because of Bi he blamed them binomics. He said the song was basically like about binomics and everything like that. Well, Anthony put out a post and said, um, let me see, where, what do you say first? Yeah, so Florida governor said it was bashing Bidenomics and why Richmond, North of Richmond, is striking a chord with Americans. Anthony said in a video after that, he thought it was kind of funny seeing his song at, during the debate, you know, being brought up because he wrote those songs about those people, like he was talking about Republicans. Um, that's actually that's what the uh, that's the way that the media ran with it. Even, they didn't listen to his whole his whole video, but that's the narrative that they ran with. They actually started post like the way that they posted the head like they they put his quotes in there, but their headlines were like he was like turning on the G like it was like anti GOP like just GOP. Um, but he said it was funny seeing my song at the presidential debate because I wrote the songs about those people, you know. So so for them to sit up there and listen to that cracks me up, and so. It, it was really funny, and it's and he said it has nothing to do with Joe Biden. It's a lot bigger than Joe Biden. That song was written about the people on the stage, and a lot more too. Not just them, but definitely them. 
So, yeah, like I said, so Variety and New York Times and The Guardian, they all started putting like the, the Variety Variety had theirs was GOP debate question. Um, it was, he, he was clarifying his politics in the video and saying he addressed the GOP debate question by saying rich men is written about the people on that stage, like saying it was only about Republicans. So he came out again and just said, made one last statement about politics <laughs> that I need to address this quote in my video earlier since been misquoted, misrepresented this evening. Corporate news, big surprise, a nice little shot there corporate news um, is now trying to twist me into being a Biden supporter <laughs> laughing emoji um, that song has nothing to do with Joe Biden it is a lot bigger than Joe Biden um, it's is referencing DeSantis response to my song he talks about needing to get Joe Biden out as if it would automatically solve the problem Biden is a big part of the problem it's a big part of the issue but it runs much deeper Richmond, north of Richmond, is about corporate-owned D.C. politicians on both sides. Though Biden most certainly a problem, the lyrics aren't exclusively knocking Biden. It's a bigger and broader than that. It's knocking the system collectively, including the corporate-owned conservative politicians that were on that stage that night. I love this statement. I mean, as a, as, as a libertarian, I love this statement. But this is what we see happen so often with politics is that if you're not for one guy, you must be for the other. I mean, they create these false dichotomies that like, if I am against Joe Biden, I must support Donald Trump or I must if I'm if I'm against Democrats, I must support the Republicans. They don't they don't get that there is so much nuance in this that I mean, I literally just said. I literally said at the beginning of this that I could probably not vote for anybody that was on that GOP stage because of their stance on foreign policy. Think of, I mean, that's, but this is the thing is it's, there's such a purity test. Yes, you're absolutely right. Magnificent devil. There is a purity test on both sides and I'm tired of elite politicians because you know what, if you've, if you've not heard my, how I was disenfranchised from the GOP. Here, here, here's my story. I was a constitutional conservative, Tea Party supporting member in the you know the 2010s timeframe. I loved Ron Paul, but I was a neocon. I couldn't get past his foreign policy at the time. Right? We sent. So many people to Washington that were part of the Tea Party movement to cut spending and to rein in spending and bring government back to operational levels where we are not spending out of control, massive spending bills. What happens? They get to Congress and they pass massive spending bills. It was at that point that I it really didn't matter. And I vote for gridlock. Because at least with gridlock, at least with gridlock, you know that <laughs> they're going to fight amongst themselves and nothing's going to get, nothing's going to get passed other than when they pass these massive spending bills that don't help anybody. And so I love this statement because this is right where I'm at with a lot of this stuff too. I'm a little bit more 
lenient, I, I would say, probably on politics than Oliver Anthony. Because I understand how to... I, I, but I work in the system that we have. So I have to work with some politicians here and there on single-issue advocacy work. Because I do advocate... I do work in single-issue advocacy. This is a huge issue, though. Like... I don't need to be like, this is both sides do this to me, right? When we're talking about any issue you want to talk about, we're talking trans issues. I get it from both sides. Why? Because if I don't agree with, you know, the left 100%, I'm automatically a conservative. I'm automatically friends with all of those people that they say want to kill me. So they're telling me that this side wants to kill me. Well, this side is, you know, is 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 shaming me for wanting to get other stuff done and wanting me to protect children. Um, so in a lot of like, there's no win when you're in the middle. But the problem is, is there's so much nuance in the world. Um, and and really, right now in Washington, there's very few people. I mean, it, it basically is a uniparty as they've called this. The Democrats and the Republicans are very much alike. They they very rarely split on a lot of these issues. And the only reason why that they are even at odds with each other, the only reason why they vote against each other is because the other side put these bills up. Happens in state legislatures all the time too. I know that people are telling other people that they wish that they could vote for this um, but their side won't let them. Their leadership will not let them vote for this policy. So they, a lot of people are being strong-armed by their leadership to vote against, simply because the Republicans want this. Simply because the Democrats want this. It doesn't matter who's in office. Um, you're gonna, you, you see a lot of the same stuff get into um, when you're there. Now, personally, I don't think it's as bad on the Republican side. They generally agree and support with what I'm working with, and I can work with them on a lot more issues. Um, but don't th I, I don't think that I, I do think that they are owned a lot by corporate corporations. Like when he said corporate owned conservatives, I mean Vivek Ramaswamy actually said this in the debate. He's like everybody else on the stage is bought and paid for, right? Um. He was self-made, but I mean, and again, when he talked about Raytheon, Lockheed and Boeing and the military industrial complex, everybody on that stage is bought and paid for by the military industrial complex. Like there's this huge money laundering scheme that happens um, in Washington and it, and it happens with all corporations, right? So what happens, corporations donate big money to different politicians campaign on both sides of the aisle. So they can get like their regulations that will help them. Somebody was talking, I, I was, I posted this on, on, uh, actually it was Lauren Southern's post the other day too. So politicians get all this money from corporate donors. Um, and then those politicians go and create legislation. So like we get 15, $15 minimum wage for, for example, I believe Walmart is in favor of a $15 minimum wage. Why? Because it drives their competition, the small mom and pop shops, out of business. This is a corporatist system, not a capitalist system. 
We don't live in a capitalist system. We live in a system where, you know, corporations and government are tied so deeply together that they're, they can't be separated, like that they're working together to drive out competition at the lower level. So there's barriers to entry. Government picks winners and losers based on how much money that they can make off of them. This is not a capitalist system. And the thing is, is capitalists blame it on socialist. There is a lot of issues with socialism. Um, and this is kind of moving. This is like the next step to socialism. But the problem is then you have the socialists blaming this on capitalism where they have no idea what they're talking about because this isn't capitalism. Like you said, Courtney, the, capitalism died a long time ago. And so it's really, it's really refreshing to see somebody come out of nowhere like Oliver Anthony and just bash the political system. A, a backwoods boy just bashing the political system as a whole. Not taking a side, not a Republican, not a Democrat, just you know, an elite versus the working class, because that's where we're at right now. The elite. The political status quo versus the working class. That's really what it is. Um, well, that was a big soapbox I just went on right there too, right? Um, and it's at about the hour. So I was going to talk, oh, man, I was going to go back into talk about, um, if you didn't see, there is a link to an article below. If you didn't see, Kyle Rittenhouse is actually getting sued um, by the estate of one of the people that he shot. Actually, the first person that was chasing him. Um, what is his name? Joseph Rosenbaum, the one that he shot first. Um, Kyle is being sued by his estate for wrongful death. And I just wanted to actually kind of point this out because this is insane. This is, again, how the media shaped the narrative. And Kyle needs to be suing everybody, including Joe Biden, after Joe Biden called him a white supremacist. But Kyle does not need to be sued. He's been like he's getting sued for wrongful death. Um, the other person, um, I think I have it in here. Um, yeah, Gage Grosswitz. He tried to sue for damage. He's trying to sue for damages as of earlier this year, too, for emotional distress, humiliation, loss of enjoyment of life and pain and suffering. After after he admitted that Kyle only shot him. After he pointed his gun at him. But what's really crazy about this new suit. Is they literally said. Where is it? Um. So they, the suit alleges that, because it's not just suing Kyle, it's suing like the counties and then the police departments and then John Doe police officers too that were there. So they don't even know who the police officers were that day, but they, they're suing the, the police officers too. Um, because they allege that they conspired with uh, like uh, Kyle's group that was defending businesses, um, they deputized them. Let me see. Um and let them patrol the streets armed with deadly weapons to mete out justice as they saw fit. They made plans to, and apparently they, they alleged that the police made plans to funnel protesters toward the armed individuals so that they could deal with them. 
crazy. But this is the craziest part right here. This is where the media narrative was so wrong and they lied so much about Kyle. It says, as a result, defendant Rittenhouse fired his assault rifle indiscriminately multiple times at citizens on the street. I'm sorry. He did what now? He did, he did what now? Like, did, did you watch the videos that were played in court? He didn't fire anything indiscriminately. He was being chased. Actually, he was the most pinpoint accurate shooter, most disciplined shooter I think you could ever ask for in that situation. He only shot people who were a direct threat to his life. When Gage Grosswich actually stepped forward and he raised his rifle at him, he didn't shoot until Gage jumped forward with his gun pointed at him. Until Gage was a direct threat at him, he did not do that. Indiscriminately, my ass. Like, again, he had the most self-discipline uh, that I think you could ever ask for in that situation. It's insane. And yes, Psycho, I don't know what an assault rifle is. They can't answer it. They can't. They. I, I asked somebody on Twitter the other day, what, what makes an AR-15 different than any other semi-automatic rifle or any other semi-automatic period? All I all I can think of is that it's big, black, and scary. I I, I don't know, but this pisses me off. So it, it's it's crazy. They can't let Kyle just move on with his life, um, you know, like they should. But I do want to talk about this next story. But unfortunately, y'all, it's about COVID. And so I am not comfortable saying what I want to say about this story on YouTube or Facebook. So if you're watching on YouTube and Facebook, I want you first to click that like and subscribe button. Secondly, I want you to follow me across all social media platforms. Especially go follow me on Rumble and Twitter where this is also streamed and you can watch the rest of the episode because... Um, we're going to talk about what's going on with COVID. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you. Thank you. Courtney, Courtney gave me $5 super chat. Thank you so much. Thanks for a great show. You're welcome. And thank you. Um, but yeah, we're going to go to, we're going to go over there because talking about COVID, um, it's always been a good way to get kicked off of, of, of YouTube and Facebook. So we're going to end the show here for those ones. So if you don't go to the other ones, please, uh, you know, I will, you know, like I said, click that like and subscribe button and I will see you next time. Thank you. Mm. All right. So now we are on 
Rumble and Twitter alone. So we're going to talk about COVID. If you haven't seen, COVID is back. This is the new scare tactic. They want to lock us down again. I'm telling y'all, I'm not doing it. I'm never putting a mask on again. Just not doing it. Don't comply to this bullshit. Okay? Don't do it. Like, that's... We can't let them do this to us again. And here's the here's the thing. So, I'll play this video for you real quick. Let me see. Um, Joe Biden actually admitted that the vaccines don't work. The, the original vaccines don't work. He admits it right here. Watch. Can you say anything about the uptick of COVID cases and new variants? Yes, I can. Matter of fact, I signed off this morning on a proposal we have to present to the Congress a uh, request for additional funding for new vaccine that is necessary that works. And tentatively, not decided finally yet, tentatively, it is recommended that that could be recommended that everybody get no matter whether they got it. So, first thing I heard when I watched that, we're going to develop a new vaccine. It's not created yet, one. So, we're going to develop a new vaccine that is needed and that works. Admitting that the original COVID vaccines didn't actually work. Didn't, didn't work like they expected. Now, we've all known this. But this is the first time he's admitted. I don't think he even realized he admitted it. I haven't even, really even seen anybody else pointing this out that he admitted it. But they admit that the COVID vaccines didn't work. So, you know, that's why they need this new vaccine. The new vaccine. I'm telling you, I'm not getting it. And, and, and this is the thing is it's not even developed yet, but it will likely, likely be, likely be recommended that everybody get it, whether you've had all your boosters, all your everything or not. It will likely be recommended that you get it. It's not even developed yet. So how do you even know that it's going to work if, if it's not developed yet? And how do you, how are you going to determine who needs it? I'm glad he said recommended because I'm not getting it. And you can't make me. Can't make anybody. I don't even know very many people that are actually going to get this vaccine. I, I know a lot of people that didn't even get that didn't get any of the first ones. Have not taken a single vaccine on this and they're doing just fine. So I don't. It's insane, but I, I I just wanted to point out, like I said, that he noted that. So, but if you're already starting to see it, you're starting to see masking coming back. Now, there's there's places again. When I was at the Capitol last week, there's people with masks. Um, yeah, Robbie says I'm old and I smoke and I had COVID. I didn't die. COVID. I had COVID. Actually, when I got a when I got the flu last year, it wasn't even it wasn't COVID. When I got the flu last year, 
<laughs> it was worse than when I had COVID. COVID was like three days and it wasn't too bad. And I just took some ibuprofen and I was able to do stuff. I actually did, uh, if you guys watched, I did uh, the Habibi Rose Power Hour while I had COVID. I literally test, I literally got my results back like 10 minutes before I went on the air with, with uh, Jay and Siraj. It was great. But um, I don't know. This, this new, there's this new variant, the BA286. Um, that the uh, the centers for the CDC is basically saying it's a highly mutated variant. You know, just in time for election season. Th this is that you know now the news people are saying like this is going to be our new life. We need to accept that it's here. Well, they haven't accepted that it's here. They haven't accepted that it's not that bad. They haven't accepted that it's not that bad anymore. I mean, this is the thing is once you've had it, you start building immunities to things. That's kind of how the immune system works. So once you've had it once, your natural immunity kicks in. You know, it's it and, and then the mute then the variants usually go either well, they either get worse or they get better. Um a lot of times they just get better because your body knows how to fight them off. And so they, they just kind of go to where then they become like the regular flu. That's what we're, that's what we're in. We're in where it's basically the flu. Now I'm not giving you medical advice. I'll make sure that's clear. I'm not a doctor, I'm not giving anybody medical advice, but I'm just telling you, I'm not taking it. Um, I just, it's, it's too convenient that we're coming up to the end of the year going into another election year when in states like georgia we've basically we've eliminated the drop boxes we we had a we talked about the law that we passed last week we we eliminated lock boxes we passed some some election reform laws um you know but that's they they got everybody to stay home during the last election and sent everybody mail-in ballots so that they didn't have to leave their houses and that caused huge uptick of people who voted that would never normally vote and they're not thinking about who's they're actually voting for. It's just a mess. And so it just seems kind of convenient that this is coming. This, this is coming now. Right. And if you saw, um, yeah, Libby's right. It's gonna be like this again, real life action figures. And Fauci was on the on TV today. This is a this is another rant. Fauci was on TV today talking about climate change. He he's not a he's not a climate doctor. It doesn't make any sense. Why are you talking about climate change, Fauci? You think you're the science on medicine, but you're not even the science on that. And then you 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 definitely aren't the science when it comes to you know climate data. But it doesn't matter who it is. They're going to push him out there and they're going to, he's just going to push the talking points. That's what he's doing. It's insane. But yeah, so I mean, then if you saw like Lionsgate uh, Studios in um, California, one of their offices, they started masking up. Um, Morris Brown College started masking up. And this is the thing unless you're wearing an, an N95 mask, they're not doing anything. The mask doesn't do anything. The particles for COVID are way too small for it to even do anything. 
talked about this a lot. Everything like that. Um, but yeah. So I've I went a little bit long today. I thank you all for sticking around. I see a bunch of you guys came over to Rumble, so that's awesome. I, I like to see the Rumble chat going. Um, let me see. Um, yeah, so it's nice to see y'all over here, but that's all I want to say. I'm not doing it again. I'm not masking. I'm not getting the vaccines. We're just not doing it. We're going to not comply this time. Like, if you think like, I mean, look at, look at like what, what the population can do when they just don't comply. Look what happened with Bud Light. Bud Light's the prime example. Don't comply. Don't buy their stuff. Don't shop at their stores. Any of these places, don't do it. You know, businesses have a right to do this, but you don't, I mean, we we, we can not shop there. And if the government's telling these businesses what they have to do and regulating this stuff, that is a violation of their, their constitutional rights. So that's all I had to say about that. Thank you all for joining. Like I said, great to see you on Rumble. Make sure you click that left subscribe button. Follow me across all social media platforms. And I'll see y'all next time.